the authoritative word of God. So listen as God speaks to you through Psalm 39. I'll read the superscription as well. For the choir director for Jeduthun, a psalm of David. I said, I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle, while the wicked are in my presence. I was dumb and silent. I refrained even from good, and my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as handbreadths and my lifetime as nothing in thy sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I have become dumb. I do not open my mouth, because it is thou who hast done it. Remove thy plague from me. Because of the oppression of thy hand, I am perishing. With reproofs thou dost chasten a man for iniquity. Thou dost consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee, a sojourner like all my fathers. Turn thy gaze away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, we need your help. As I regularly say at times like this, uh, I need your help. Your people need your help. We all do. Um, I need your help to preach accurately what you and unpack what you have said already in your written word. And your people need your help, including myself, at benefiting from the preaching of the word. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would assume your prophetic office afresh uh, and use my voice to speak afresh to us uh, in a way that would transform us, that would make us more faithful servants of you, our Master, because you are worthy of that from us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Children, where are you? Let's see. All right, do I see any other children? Not too many children here today. But uh, I want to tell you, 
boys, that uh, you have, as little children, few, I won't say no, but you have really very few difficulties uh, in your life as, uh, as children. You've got it pretty good, is what I'm trying to tell you. You have a good life. Enjoy being a child, because one day you're going to grow up, and there are advantages to growing up, but there's some major advantages to being a child that you lose when you grow up. And one of them is, your life is pretty good. You have really very few difficulties in your life, things that make you angry or make you sad or make you discouraged. You might have a few things. I'll give you a couple of examples of the closest you might come to having a difficulty at your stage in life. Uh, You know, it might be difficult for you when you're forced to wait for something that you want. When you're forced to wait for dinner because mom hasn't finished cooking, or or dad, excuse me, maybe dad's doing the cooking. Uh, When one of your parents uh, hasn't finished with dinner and you're hungry and you want to eat, but no, you need to wait. And you might get that from mom or dad because they're not finished. Or you have to wait for snack time. You want a snack. Um, and your parent says, no, it's not time for a snack. You just ate a, an hour ago. You're going to have to wait for a while. Or maybe when you have to wait to go somewhere that you really want to go to visit uh, grandparents or to see a friend, and you're told, no, it's not time for that right now. You have to wait. That might be difficult, but it's not really too difficult. You've got it good. But as you grow up, kids, you're going to encounter more difficulties. If God gives you years on the earth, life is going to get more difficult. And it's going to get good. It's going to be good too. But it's also going to have adult kind of problems that you're going to face one day. Well, this passage, this psalm, is about a man, King David, who had some problems. Who had some, the big word, uh, uh, mature word we call uh, trials in his life. Some pressures and struggles in his life. Actually, he had quite a few. Uh, And this psalm is about how David dealt with his problems. And there's, it's instructive for how we should deal with our problems. You as children, and yes, you as children of God who are adults as well. So we're going to look at this psalm and keep that in mind that this is uh, about how to deal with, through the eyes of David and the eyes of God, who ultimately was speaking through David as he was writing, how to deal with our trials, our struggles, our discouragements, our pressures in life before we get to heaven. David, as I said, is facing trial at this point in his life as he's composing this psalm of some sort. We don't know exactly what prompted him to write this particular psalm, what trial it was. It appears that David's ever-present enemies are at it again. At least that's part of what's going on. He uh, regularly is struggling with enemies uh, probably enemies from without and the countries around him, the enemies of, of the nation that he was king of, of but also enemies from within, uh, perhaps even in his royal court. Um, whatever they were, they were provoking him uh, with their words and their actions and perhaps even attempting to do him harm 
Again, we don't know. We're not, we're not privy to the uh, circumstances that he's writing in. But he appears, it appears that the suffering that he is experiencing at the hands of his enemies has triggered within David some sort of conflict. Um, he's become frustrated, again, because, at least in part, because of the things that are going on with these enemies uh, that are after him, or tempting him, or provoking him in some way. And he has internal conflict as a result of that. Frustration uh, over his life, and particularly over, as you could probably hear it as I was reading it, over the brevity of life, over the futility or seeming futility of living in this world, getting older and then dying, which unless Jesus returns, we're all going to do. I pondered some of that this week, actually, about my own life. And David is frustrated over the brevity of life, over the futility, a seeming futility of life, over the inevitability of deaths, um, uh, having him if Jesus were not to return before the end of his life, which he didn't. In fact, Jesus hadn't been born yet. So he was definitely facing death. Again, we can't be sure, um, but that's okay, of the background, specific background of the circumstances, but it doesn't make any difference, really. Uh, we're not... We don't need to know the background in order to understand um, how this psalm can benefit us. So, three things that summarize, essentially, the the main points of this psalm as I uh, see it. We're going to look at uh, three points here. The first is, uh, we... The first thing that we are to do when facing the trials and pressures and stresses of life is we need to guard our tongues. Verses 1 through 3. The second thing that we need to do when we're facing the trials and pressures of life is we need to remind ourselves of how transitory life is. How brief. And fleeting. And then thirdly, the third and most obvious thing that we need to do when we're facing trials and pressures in this life is we need to look to the Lord to help us with our situation. We need to... First, guard our tongues. We see this in verses 1 through 3. Uh, We all face trials, pressures, stresses, frustrations, difficulties in this life, afflictions. They vary. Uh, They vary depending on our gender, and there are only two, and you can't change it. Just thought I'd say that. Um, They vary according to our age. You younger people have different trials than we older people do. Notice I said we. Um, They vary according to our calling. We all have different callings in this life. And some of us struggle with different things because of the nature of our calling. I struggle with different things than um, Ginger does. She has a calling to be a mom um, and uh, a helpmate to her husband and other things that Ginger does. I have a calling as a pastor. I have a couple other callings as a father and a husband as well. But my calling is different than her calling, and that applies to all of you as well. And we have different stresses, pressures, struggles. Um, Just as some example of struggles you might be facing when you are having to deal with major financial pressures in your life. We, We occasionally, all of us, I think, at some point, struggle with financial issues 
paying the bills, uh, keeping a job, finding a new job uh, because we've lost a job, uh, increasing our income. Um, When we uh, find ourselves weighed down with an overabundance of things to do in life uh, because of our responsibilities at home or at the office or at church or whatever, and we have so many things on our plate, and it just seems overwhelming at times, doesn't it? Some of you know what I'm talking about. If not at the very moment, uh, this day, you have in your past. Struggle with that. Um, when we have deadlines to meet uh, and are in danger of missing those deadlines because of, again, the busyness of life, a lack of time, uh, whatever, a lack of, sometimes it's a lack of uh, uh, ability on our own part or seeming st- uh, struggle to find what we need in terms of resources to get the job done. Family crises, health issues, Produce stress, uh, produce uh, worry. Um, you young people, some of you are uh, tempted to uh, do things uh, by your peers uh, that are not right, uh, to follow the example of peers who are maybe claiming to be Christians but are not acting very Christian-like and uh, want you to imitate them because it's cool or whatever. All sorts of things. You, you, you know what I'm getting at. <clears throat> anyway... Such trials, pressures, stresses bring with them a host of temptations. Just as a vice, a physical vice, physically squeezes whatever is in it, stressful situations uh, and circumstances that we face that come our way spiritually squeeze us, put pressure on our faith put pressure on our supposed convictions. Like a balloon in the jaws of a vice, the greater the pressure that is applied to us by our circumstances that are frustrating or difficult or stressful, the greater the probability that we're going to explode, or at least uh, like a balloon, seemingly explode, metaphorically speaking. Perhaps one of the greatest temptations of all when we are being squeezed by the pressures of life and the difficulties of life is the temptation to blurt out something that would grieve God and dishonor the name of Christ. Children, when you, and not just little children, but older children, there are times when situations occur in your life uh, specifically involving your relationship with your parents, or maybe grandparent, but particularly parents, where uh, they may be telling you something that you don't like, something that you don't want to hear. They may be telling you to stop doing something you want to keep doing or, or start doing something like chores that you don't want to be doing. Or they may be uh, rebuking you for something that you've done wrong or said wrong. Or... Um, uh, some attitude that you have that's not proper, and your parents rebuke you for it and, it, and it stings, and you don't like it. And you're tempted, like I remember I was as a boy, I can think of one situation in particular when I failed this, uh, I wasn't a Christian back then, but anyway, when you're tempted to talk back to your mom and dad in a disrespectful way, to say, no, when they tell you to do something. Or to by your tone of voice, to say something to them that is just downright disrespectful. Even if the words are correct, but the attitude is wrong. 
and you teenagers know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> you know how to do that. We all know how to do that by the time we're teens. To say the right thing, but in the wrong way, with the wrong tone of voice. The point is, it shows disrespect for your mom and dad, and it is a violation of which commandment? The fifth. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Honor them. That means not just obey them outwardly, but respect them inwardly, even when you disagree with them or don't like what they're saying. But pressure of being forced to do something you don't want to do or to stop doing something you want to do can cause you to be tempted to blurt something out. And of course, this applies to more than just the the children here in the room. And guarding our tongue is really important at that point. And David understood that. He was acutely aware of the danger of allowing himself uh, to verbalize every thought that crossed his mind as he was experiencing these trials and temptations. Look at verses 1 and 2 of our text. I said, and we learn from the rest of the psalm that he was in the midst of uh, pressure and difficulties and affliction at this point. He said, I said, I will guard my ways, that I may not sin, notice, with my tongue. I will guard my mouth, there it is, as with a muzzle, while the wicked are in my presence. And then he says, after, that's the end of the quote, And then after that, he said, I was dumb and silent, meaning I I zipped my mouth. I kept my mouth shut. He understood the importance of not letting everything thought that comes into his mind go out his mouth. Um, It's unwise at any time to just blurt out what we're thinking uh, with our tongue because of what James tells us. James speaks a lot about this issue. And in James 3, 8, he refers to the tongue as a restless evil and full of deadly poison. By the way, the tongue is just an instrument of the heart. It's the heart that he's really talking about. It's not this physical pink thing in our mouth. But it it expresses what's going on in the heart. And it's unwise at any time to uh, just let loose whatever crosses our mind. But it's especially unwise, folks, to give the tongue free reign when you are going through a period of unusual stress or difficulty or frustration or anger because of your circumstances. And David understood this. He was in the midst of that. And so what what does David do? Well, he makes a resolution here in in verse 1 and 2. I just read it to you. Uh, To himself and to God, because he knew God was listening, um, he made a resolution. He resolved to be careful about what came out of his mouth as long as this trial that he was in the midst of lasted. i got to be careful. Indeed, he actually, like I said, remained totally quiet at least with respect to the issues that were um, uh, uh, the affliction that he was experiencing. 
He made a resolution, verse 1, that he might not sin with his lips. David's mind was racing. It's clear from as you read this. His mind was racing. His emotions were running high on account of whatever it was he was dealing with. Verse 3 makes that clear. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. The fires of affliction burned while I was thinking. He is, he is stressed. Now, he's not when he's writing this. He's reflecting back on a previous, uh, uh, just recently, uh, he, the affliction, affliction has recently ended. He's, he's reflecting back on it, writing about it. But uh, when it was going on, he was, it, was, it was beating down hard on him. His thoughts, his thoughts weren't necessarily sinful at that point in time. But even if they were sinful, they may have been sinful. He may have had some sinful thoughts. Probably undoubtedly he did, actually. His agitated state of mind made slipping into such thinking a strong possibility. Even if he hadn't yet sinned, the stress of the situation made it very easy to start sinning with his mouth. By saying things or not saying things that he needed to say or saying things that he didn't need to say. And that would have been sinful to say. And the pressure was on by the circumstances to do that. And it would have been bad enough if he had, if he were to entertain sinful thoughts towards, uh, people around him, toward even his enemies, whom he was supposed to love, and especially toward God. It would have been bad enough if he were to entertain such thoughts in his head, but what would be even worse, it, it exacerbates the, his sin, would be for him to verbalize such thoughts to others, especially in the presence of his enemies, as verse 1 indicates. Uh, that I will guard my mouth with, as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. And he knew this is not a good idea to say things that are, that I'm tempted to say because of my circumstances that I face. He understood, he understood well the truth that Solomon penned in Proverbs, where he said in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23, let me get there. He said, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. David understood, I need to be real careful about what slips out of this mouth of mine, especially now, given what's going on around me. Folks, this is something that you and I need to take to heart ourselves and apply to our own lives. Because as, again, as James says over in chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, I think all of us here in this room probably think ourselves to be religious or we wouldn't be here. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue or hers, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. As Christians, we need to be careful about what comes out of our mouth. All of us have sinned in this regard numerous times, including and especially me. We have all shot off what was in our mind and 
and if nothing else, dishonored God and may have hurt other people. And it may have felt good while we were hurting other people. And that's why we did it, perhaps. But we've all done it. There's forgiveness and grace to be had for all those who will own up to what they've done, acknowledge it was wrong, uh, regret it, and turn from their sin and say, Lord, please forgive me. Help me not to do that again. If you're a Christian, you have forgiveness available to you immediately. Now, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, to save you from the hell that you deserve, we all deserve hell in this room. Everybody in the world deserves hell. Which is the place where God pours out his wrath forevermore upon those who are, uh, whose sins have not been forgiven by him. But if you are... If you have never trusted in Jesus to save you from the hell that you deserve and from God's judgment and wrath, and if you've never also trusted him, and you have to do this as your Lord, because he is Savior and Lord, that's what he is. And he's the Lord, the master of all, and we are his servants. If we become, uh, if we become Christians, we become servants. The, the New Testament actually uses the word slaves of God, of Christ in particular. If you've never trusted him and him alone to save you, and to be the Lord of your life, then you have no opportunity to be forgiven. Your sins are going to be held against you, and if you die uh, two seconds from now, you will go to hell and pay forever for your sins. But if you flee to Jesus Christ, if you realize he's your only hope of being forgiven by God, and he alone can take away the wrath that, that you deserve for your sins, If you flee to him, say, Jesus, have mercy upon me. Save me from your wrath, uh, from from your wrath, the Father's wrath, the the Spirit's wrath, the wrath of God. And, And give your life to him in faith. You will immediately be forgiven of all of your sins, past, present, and future, and will have access to ongoing forgiveness from God as your Father from now until the day you die. But only if you flee to Christ. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him, not in your church, in your goodness, not in the fact that you're better than uh, your neighbor is or your friends are, uh, not in your church membership, not in your baptism. None of that will save you or have anything to do with saving you. Only Jesus can save you. His perfect obedience is what God has to see. Otherwise, you get punished uh, in hell and uh, for your wrath. But Jesus, you see, took hell for you. Actually, he only took hell for those who put their trust in him. But he endured hell on the cross so that you wouldn't have to. So that you could have nothing but grace for the rest of your, for all eternity, actually. So that you could have God's love, his mercy, his grace forevermore. He had to take your hell, though. But you only, he only takes the hell of those who trust him. Trust in Christ if you've never done that. But David had access to God's forgiveness. And David understood that he uh, needed, as a forgiven person, to honor God by the way that he used his tongue. And he asked God for help uh, and made a resolution before God that he was going to be careful not to allow his stressful circumstances to 
cause him to sin against God by with his tongue and perhaps against others as well. What are the circumstances in your life that you're most prone to say things that you shouldn't say? Things that dishonor God. What, what circumstances are they in your life? When you're tired? When you're stressed? When you're frustrated? When somebody's hurt you? You need, I need, we all need to respond the right way when pressure is applied by the by living in this world we got to guard our tongues and yes our hearts that's more difficult than the tongue but we need to guard both but first and foremost the tongue secondly Second thing that we are to do when facing the trials and pressures of this life is to remind ourselves of how transitory this life is, how fleeting this life of ours is. Human life is brief in comparison to the age of the world, which isn't, by the way, 4.5 billion, it's about 6,000. But anyway, it's still a long time compared to your life. And it's certainly brief in compared to the eternal God who is our Father, His being. It's tenuous, too. And he says in verse, Paul, uh, uh, Paul uh, David describes it in verse 5 as, he says, Behold, thou hast made my days as hand breaths. A hand breath was one of the smallest measures in the Hebrew system of measuring. It was a very small measure. And David here is using that word metaphorically to emphasize the brevity of his life in com- from a divine, from God's perspective. You know, our life from God's perspective is just a like that. It's all it is. Indeed, it's less than Don't ask me to repeat that noise. I just realized that's kind of weird. Anyway, but you get the point. Um, it's a mere breath. It's like it's just like like that, a shadow that just is here and gone. That's what our life is. That's what your life is. That's what my life is, in comparison to God, or even in comparison to the age of the of the universe. Something that is here one moment and gone the next. Fleeting, lacking substance compared to God. Listen to what James has to say on this subject. Again, James. I want to go home and read James this week. James 4, verses 13 and 14. Come now, and let, uh, come now you who say, so he's, he's instructing people who say this, who say, today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. And then James says, Let you, uh, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. That's your life. Your earthly life, at least, and mine. Far from being a bad thing, though, being reminded of the brevity and the tenuousness of 
our life here on earth, is actually a good thing to do, to think about what I just told you about yourself and myself. Look at verse 4. Lord, David says this to the Lord, Lord, make me to know my end. What is the extent of my days? Let me know, let me know, Lord, how transient, how fleeting I am, this life is. Let me know that, Lord. Remind me of it. Why? What's the value? Well, first of all, uh, it helps us to keep the frustrations and pressures that come our way at any given moment, helps us to keep them in perspective. Yes, we are stressed right now. Yes, we are struggling right now. Yes, we don't like what we're facing, this trial, this life. But this trial, this life, will only last a brief moment in comparison to what our ultimate life in heaven will be. So that helps, putting things in perspective by thinking about this life is short. Secondly, it reminds us of what is really important in the greater scheme of things. So that in the midst of those trials that we are now facing, the pressures and stresses that we're now facing, we will, as we're reminded of the brevity of our life in those trials, we will focus our time and our energy in the midst of those struggles on those activities that we are, that are going to have a significance beyond this life. What are the things that really matter right now? I've got a short life. Yes, I'm facing this struggle. What's the way that I can handle this struggle that will honor God and therefore be of eternal value and honor God? And it will be a crown, as it were, that I can throw at his feet when I get there. How can I, how can I handle this situation in a God-honoring fashion? What's the best way to do that? A thir- uh, for example... If you're facing several deadlines at once and you're pressured for time uh, and you encounter several unanticipated interruptions, perhaps they're children, perhaps they're parents, it might be very tempting to snap at those who are interrupting our agenda. It's times such as that when it would be helpful to put this situation that we're facing in its proper perspective in light of eternity. It doesn't really matter if the beans are overcooked because I had to go and break up a fight between my children. An argument. Let's call it an argument. It doesn't matter really if I wasn't able to get to work on time because of, you know, I was stuck behind a convoy of slow-moving trucks. That happened to me just the other day. I need to handle this in a way that honors God. That's what's most important, not getting to work on time or having beans that are just the right consistency. So it, it helps us to... Uh, uh, reminds us of what's really important, thinking about the brevity and the uh, tenuousness of life. Um, also, it, re- it provides us with the motivation, can provide us with the motivation that we need to make the most of whatever time God has given us. To go, okay, you know, 
I need to make the most of this. I don't have a lot of time. I need to make the most of this situation. And it's motivating to think about the brevity of life. This is just a brief little moment that I've got uh, in a brief life to honor God, to do the right thing, to think the right thing, to say the right thing, whatever. And then finally, a final reason why this can be helpful uh, to us is it's a reminder to us that we need to be prepared to meet our maker at any moment. Whether by the second coming or by a stopped heart. We need to be living every moment, you've heard this, as if it's our last. That's actually pretty good advice. And remembering that our life can be taken from us just like that can help us go, I think I'll do the right thing right now, even though I'm tempted not to. Well, then finally, so we've said the, uh, when we are facing trials and pressures of this life, the first thing we need to do is we need to um, guard our tongue. Secondly, we need to remind ourselves of how transitory life is. By the way, this is an exhaustive list of things to do. There are other things as well, but this is what this psalm teaches us about. So we're, we're sticking with this psalm. And then the final thing, and this is the most obvious thing that we are to do when facing the trials and pressures of this life, is we need to look to the Lord. We need to turn to Him and not just... Um, you know, uh, tough it out on our on our own. This is what David did. This is verses seven through thirteen. Uh, this is what David did. Um, and the and the first thing he did is he reminded himself of where his ultimate hope lie. Verse seven, he said, "And now, Lord, for what do I wait?" In other words, in the midst of this unpleasant situation I'm facing, for what do I wait? He says, "My hope." which is a synonym for waiting, my hope is in thee. It's in you. I'm, I'm fixing my eyes on you, Lord, as I go through this struggle that I'm facing. I'm deliberately doing that. He looked to the Lord. And we, like David, we are to look to the Lord uh, in a couple of ways that are suggested in this psalm, at least, and there are other ways again as well. But one of the ways we can look to the Lord is to look to him for the forgi- for forgiveness for any unconfessed sins that we ourselves may have committed against him before or even during, perhaps especially during this trial that is messing with our dots, as I sometimes say. We need to turn to the Lord, Lord, search my heart. I got some, I got some dirt in here. This situation is stirring up dirt in my heart, spiritual dirt. Please forgive me. Help, help me see what it is so I can confess it and actually mean I'm sorry and then, and then confess it and turn from it and appropriate God's uh, forgiveness in Christ. Even though David managed to refrain from saying anything he shouldn't have said during his trial, whatever it was, he did manage to keep his mouth shut, remain dumb, the old-fashioned word for silent. Uh, the fact that he did that didn't mean that he had handled the situation perfectly. It's pretty apparent from what he says here that he had actually transgressed God's law, albeit in his heart, not with his mouth, but in his heart. The text makes it pretty clear. 
Uh, verse 8, in fact, makes it abundantly clear. He, here he acknowledges his wrongdoing and asks for deliverance from the sins that he had committed before and during this trial. He says there in verse 8, Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. He says, deliver me from my transgressions. I have transgressed you, Lord. He didn't allow his sin to go unconfessed. He owned up to his sin, and so should you, and so should I. And also, we can look to the Lord not only for forgiveness, for sins that we need to confess to him, but also, this text reminds us that we should uh, also look to him for a removal of God's hand of discipline, if in fact discipline is what is going on. And it's not always discipline that causes us... bring. God doesn't always bring struggles our way to discipline us, but that's not uncommon for the Christian. Because we're slow learners, folks. I am pretty sure you are, because you're like me. We're slow learners, and we sometimes need a, a swat from heaven, which comes in the form of uh, circumstances that uh, press on us and remind us of our, our uh, how should we say, our uh, lowliness and our weakness, and yes, our foolishness. The Lord had been disciplining David for something during the course of this trial. We're not sure what. Perhaps it was uh, for something that he had happened before the trial came. Or perhaps the Lord was using the provocations of his enemies as a means to discipline him in this trial as he's in it, as he was in it. Um, God sometimes does that. He'll use others to provoke us to, to uh, elicit a, a better, uh, a, a, a godly response from us eventually. Even though we may kick and scream for a while. Kind of like our little one here. Um, that wasn't a hint to take him away. Just, I, I, was just, I was just saying. We, no, we, we're, a good, we're a church. We, we were happy with crying babies. It's quite all right. Um, but David, he longed for relief from God's hand of discipline on him for his sin. And told the Lord as much. In verse, in verse 10, he says, Remove thy plague, that's discipline, from me, uh, because of the opposition of thy hand, through his enemies and through other parent circumstances, uh, I am perishing. That's probably a little bit hyperbolic, but uh, it was very unpleasant. And he's like, Lord, I know you're ultimately behind this. Would you please stay your hand? I, I, I get the point. He, he wanted it removed. And there's nothing wrong with preferring to see an end to God's hand of discipline or God's providential things that aren't disciplined but are unpleasant. There's nothing wrong with wanting relief from whatever it is, including discipline. But we just need to remember we need to remember that God's timing may not coincide with the timing we would prefer. Now, sometimes it does. Sometimes we get extra grace, as it were, and we get relief 
shortly after we pray for it. Sometimes we don't. And we ha- that's where you have to trust God. My, my God is my Father. He is a loving Father. He is a wise Father. He is a holy Father. He will not let me down. And if he sees my need to endure this for a time longer, then, then I just, I, apparently I need to. That takes faith, folks. you got to look for it and find it and ask for it. But it takes faith. We need to be willing to accept God's timing, difficult though it may be. We need to be willing to wait for the Lord to bring the process uh, to a close in his time, whatever that is. Trusting in his wisdom, his goodness, his love for us, his kindness. And then we need to pray, and this is the conclusion here, that he would, in the midst of the waiting period, whatever, however long that is, remember, uh, and, and now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope or my waiting is in thee. However long that waiting period is, we need to pray, Lord, help me to be content with your timing, with your providence, with your, with what you have put before me. Help me to find contentment in you, not in my circumstances, but in you and in your goodness and your love and your mercy and your wisdom. Only God can give you the grace to even begin to do that. But we're called to do that. And the Lord will be faithful to you. Always, in his time, in his way, he will be faithful to you. Trust him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these...